Welcome to the Choose You Netcast. This is Jim Langlois with the word from Joshua 24:15. Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's my prayer that this netcast will encourage and cheer you on as we join forces to draw the line in the sand, defending our faith and our households in the resurrection power of Jesus. Join me each weekday as we dig deeply into God's amazing word and bring up the rich treasures of his blessings. Are you ready? Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. I said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. Good morning, NetWorld, and thank you for tuning in. We're continuing with our series, What's So Important About the Book of James. Let me read James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So his writing is as a servant of God by choice, a servant by choice to those twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. And in chapter 1, verses 20 through 27, he talks about being a doer of the word, and we've already covered this pretty well in the previous sessions. However, I have a few more thoughts on this subject. James 1.21 says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive the word. Wow, that's very, very interesting. He's talking about receiving or hearing the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's an article that was published in 2007 by Christianity Today that I think relates, and it's very interesting. It was titled, Willow Creek Repents, and it says, Why the Most Influential Church in America Now Says We Made a Mistake. It goes on, Not long ago, Willow released its findings from a multiple-year qualitative study of its ministry. Basically, they wanted to know what programs and activities of the church were actually helping people mature spiritually and which were not. The results were published in a book, Reveal, Where Are You?, co-authored by Greg Hawkins, who was the executive pastor of Willow Creek. Hybels, the senior pastor, called the findings earth-shaking, groundbreaking, and mind-blowing. Hawkins says participation is a big deal. We believe the more people participating in these sets of activities with higher levels of frequency, it will produce disciples of Christ. This has been Willow's philosophy of ministry in a nutshell. The church creates programs and activities. People participate in these activities, and the outcome is spiritual maturity. In a moment of stinging honesty, Hawkins says, I know it might sound crazy, but that's how we do it in churches. We measure levels of participation. Having put all of their eggs into the program-driven church basket, you can understand their shock when the research revealed that increasing levels of participation in these sets of activities does not predict whether someone's becoming more of a disciple of Christ. It does not predict whether they love God more or they love people more. Having spent 30 years creating and promoting a multi-million dollar organization driven by programs and measuring participation and convincing other church leaders to do the same, you can see why Hybels called this research the wake-up call of his adult life. 
Hybels confesses, we made a mistake. What we should have done when people cross the line of faith and become Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people and taught people how to read their Bible between the services, how to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. In other words, spiritual growth doesn't happen best by becoming dependent on elaborate church programs, but through the age-old spiritual practices of prayer, Bible reading, and relationships. And, ironically, these basic disciplines do not require multi-million dollar facilities and hundreds of staff to manage. Hawkins said, our dream is that we fundamentally change the way we do church, that we take out a clean sheet of paper and we rethink all of our old assumptions, replace it with new insights, insights that are informed by research and rooted in Scripture. Our dream is really to discover what God is doing and how he's asking us to transform this planet. It's an excellent article and quite revealing for a church of that size. I'm so glad they were willing to really look at it and find out the facts. People say growth is not optional. So what is growth? People? Money? Number of services? Or is it spiritual maturity, which translates to all the others? If so, then what is spiritual maturity, and how do we get there? Well, I believe this is what James is talking about within his whole letter, being not just a hearer, but a doer. He says in James 1, through 24, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says or claims he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And here's a note from the New American Standard Bible. It puts it this way, Can that faith save him? The Believer's Bible Commentary says, If it be asked what kind of faith James is referring to, the answer is found in the first part of the verse. He is speaking about a say-so faith that is not backed up by good works. Such a faith is worthless. It is all words and nothing else. And Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? The Bible Exposition Commentary says this, even in the early church, there were those who claimed they had saving faith, yet did not possess salvation. Wherever there is the true, you will find the counterfeit. Jesus warned, not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. People with dead faith substitute words for deeds. They know the correct vocabulary for prayer and testimony and can even quote the right verses from the Bible, but their walk does not measure up to their talk. They think that their words are as good as works, and they are wrong. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible has a comment on chapter 2, verse 14. It says, James does not set faith against works, but rather discusses two kinds of faith, a dead faith and a saving faith. Saving faith is not simply a profession or an empty claim, quoting from verses 14 through 17, nor is it merely the acceptance of a creed, quoting from verses 18 through 20. Saving faith is that which produces an obedient life, pulling that from verses 21 through 26. And here's James chapter 1, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, 
and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And beginning in chapter 3, James begins to talk about the taming of the tongue. Well, do we have to? Well, I like how Gloria Copeland put it. If you're not satisfied with what you have, change what you're saying. And James says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers or masters, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble, which means offend or fall ourselves or cause someone else to stumble and fall. We all stumble in many things, James says. If anyone does not stumble in word, that would be speech. He's a perfect man, that meaning he's a mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible says the tongue is a little member, but its power and influence for good or bad are out of proportion to its size. <laughs> what a quote. Moving on with James chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths so that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. What a quote. A tongue is a fire, he says in James 3, 6. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Oh, my. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible says the true source of the unruly evil produced by the tongue is hell. At one end, the tongue spits deadly poison. At the other end, it is manipulated by wicked spirits. Therefore, no man can tame it. Well, the tongue is a fire. If it is a hellfire, it'll produce death, unruly evil, corruption, destruction, lies, foolishness, cursings, perversion, hate, and separation. It's a deadly poison that kills. But if it's a Holy Spirit fire, it will produce authority, prophecy, praise, blessings, healing, truth, wisdom, unity, love, and life. It's a miracle producer that brings life. For Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You see, our speech can bring a blessing and a curse. James 3, 7-10. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. The tongue is a spring. It's either fresh or bitter. Verses 11 through 12, James says, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. I like what the Spirit-Filled Life Bible says of verses 9 through 12. James's comments do not mean the tongue does not also speak good. However, it is notoriously inconsistent, and its propensity or its tendency is to speak evil. Nothing can cause more damage than the tongue. Keeping our speech under closer control is a discipline believers must develop. Monitoring every word we speak may seem cumbersome at first, but it will serve to advance righteousness. Speak well of others. Criticism, slander, backbiting, and gossip are bitter waters which issue out of demonic worldly wisdom. Boy, those are some good notes from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37, Jesus said, Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. My, my, my. We need to be careful what we say. It's important. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. And then Proverbs 13, verses 2 through 3, A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. I call that practical religion and genuine faith. And that's what the book of James is all about. Well, once again, 15 minutes goes pretty fast. I'm really enjoying the book of James, and I hope you are. What's so important about the book of James? Well, it's about practical religion and genuine faith. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow, same time, same channel, and we'll continue with what's so important about the book of James. I call you blessed. You have been listening to the Choose You Netcast with Jim Langlois. If you have enjoyed this program, you can find out more about Jim Langlois Ministries on the Master's House website at tmhnow.org. That's tmhnow.org. On the media tab, you can listen to many more messages, subscribe to my daily devotional emails, and follow the link to my blog site. If you'd like to write me or become a financial partner with this ministry, my address is the Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. That's the Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. Online donations can also be made at tmhnow.org, and my email address is pastorjim at tmhnow.org. This is Jim Langlois saying be blessed, you and your whole household. Until next time. Choose you this day, but that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house.